Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. And I'm Paulo Elias from PBS Kids Digital. And today we have on Kent C. Dodds. Kent, how are you doing? Doing great. Thank you for having me on. And how do you, if you introduce yourself to someone at a party, how do you introduce yourself? I'm Kent C. Dodds, uh, developer depends. educator? Or? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if it's a party where it's not like a, a developer party, but just a group of friends or something, I, I never use my middle initial. I, I feel like that may be pretentious. <laughs> but, Interesting. Uh, but, uh, yeah, but my middle initial has kind of been a brand thing for me. And so if it's at, like a conference or something, then I say I'm Kent C. Dodds. And most of the conferences I go to or, or those types of things, they'll ask me what I do if they don't already know who I am. So I don't normally lead in with what I do. <laughs> well, what does the C stand for? Christopher. Christopher. See, I was wondering if that was intentional or not in terms of you using it. Because my father, for instance, he his name, whenever he wrote it, was C period William Welch. Mm. And he went he went by Bill because, but the only reason he did it is he hated his first name. <laughs> so yeah, he didn't my, ever want to use it. My dad, he always went by J. Terry Dodds. His first name's James, but his dad's name is James and his first son. My brother's name is James. He goes by Jim. And so, yeah, my, my dad decided to go by J. Terry Dodds. And, and actually, funny story, when I left home to go to college, I mentioned to him that I thought about it'd be kind of fun to switch to K. Christopher Dodds and have people call me Chris. <laughs> And he said, no, don't do it. You always like you just have to explain your name choice all the time. It's a just mm. super annoying. So don't do it. I strongly advise against this decision. <laughs> I mean, it, it honestly sounds like good advice. But Ken, the reason we wanted to have you on here today is we wanted to talk to you a little bit about React and a little bit about yourself and, and what you do for a living. So Great. if you were out at Best Buy on Black Friday and you grabbed one of the new Xbox Xs and you're about to take it to the checkout counter and a soccer mom tackles you and grabs the other end of it and you start <laughs> grappling and you remember your jujitsu training from when you were a teenager and you grab her by the lapels and you spin her into an arm lock. And then she shifts her weight, uses some sumo moves on you, pins you down and says, look, I'll let you have this Xbox X, but you have to explain to me what Epic React is. What would you tell her? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> that was very vivid. Um, so You're being crushed by her weight, so you better get it out quick. You're, oh, you're yeah. losing air. <laughs> Epic React is my best attempt at making the world a better place by teaching people how to build quality React applications. That's pretty good. That's pretty concise. So it's a it's a training course. And is it videos or is it audio or is it blogs or what is it? It's a bunch of things. So we, we've got, we do have articles. We have a podcast. We have actually two podcasts, basically. One where I'm interviewed and then one where I interview people in the community. And then the bulk of it is workshops that are self-paced and have a video companion to them. So you have exercises that you're supposed to do. And I explain what the objective of the exercise is. And then I, I set you off and, and you work on that on your own. And then you can come back and watch me work through the solution and answer common questions. I, these workshops I've given to hundreds, definitely thousands of developers. And so I know all, most of the questions that people are going to typically ask. And so I answer all of those in the video. And uh, as I walk through it, the solution and yeah, and then you move on to the next. So there are over 350 videos on there. So lots and lots of exercises. And yeah, it really is just a fantastic place to learn everything that I know about React. Yeah, it's very and, thorough. And the, uh, the workshop app is actually a really cool twist on things I haven't seen in a lot of training. 
training courses. Yeah, yeah. I've put a, I, I've been doing workshops for years, and one of the biggest struggles is making sure that the workshop itself and the setup doesn't detract from the learning experience. And so I try to do as much as I can to make that experience as seamless as possible, so you can just focus on learning. And so yeah, I'm glad that seems to have worked for you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because Paulo, you are sorry, Paulo, you have been taking his course, right? You've been, you actually signed up for Epic React and you've been using it, right? Yeah. I, it was my birthday present to myself a while ago and I've been Happy going. Happy birthday. <laughs> thank you. So, well, yeah, back in September, but thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. It's, it's been great. I've, I've been able to, with a new baby at home, so I've only gone through one module, but it's been very thorough. <laughs> wow. Congratulations <laughs> on the baby too. <laughs> thank you. But no, it's, it's, it's actually been really helpful and it's very thorough for um, even just the, the first module I've gone through. It's been really amazing. I can't wait to get back into the rest of it. Over oh, the whole to hear that. All right. So I, I've got to, I've got to take you to task on something that you said. I just have to do it. So we, we have a number of people that listen to us that are coming from sort of a more traditional web developer background. Have you run into cases where you're talking with someone and they're more traditional web developer where they do HTML, CSS, a little bit of JavaScript, and you tell them that you're making the world better by teaching people React and they look at you with these eyes. They're just kind of staring at you. They're like, are you really though? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, um, is React a good thing? How do you How do you reach people that are a little bit skeptical about not just React, but any of these JavaScript framework things? Well, I mean, I, I could just point to the ridiculous number of applications that are written in React and say some of these things would be very difficult to build without a framework like mm-hmm. React. And so, yeah, that that's a big thing. And actually, for that type of person, they'd be really interested in this new framework that's coming out called Remix. You can find mm-hmm. it at remix.run, where it really takes progressive enhancement to, to heart. And you can build full, real applications without any JavaScript at all. It, and it works. It's amazing. Very, very cool stuff that's coming out of uh, Ryan Florence and Michael Jackson that, that are working on that. So if if uh, Andrew described you, then give Remix a solid look because you'll really like that. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I think that React does make the world a better place, uh, having you know been or having existed because there are experiences that you can build with React that you just couldn't do without a client side framework. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, where I'm kind of going back to or hearkening back to is Chris. Coyer wrote an article on this called The Great Divide, which was really kind of just recognizing what was going on where you could have two front-end developers sitting in a bar, and they'd have absolutely nothing to talk about. You Mm -hmm. know, you'd have someone on one side that they do React, maybe they use Next.js with it, they use GraphQL, and on the other side, you've got someone that is they're using a CMS, maybe they're using WordPress, and they're focused on user experience and accessibility, and they don't really use JavaScript for much of anything. And I think it's kind of an interesting schism that is going on. And we're, we've even seen some pushback in terms of traditional backend developers that are looking at it and they're saying, well, you know, yeah, we could move everything to the front end or we could move everything back to the back end. Right? So people are doing like Caleb Porzio is doing stuff like Livewire and Phoenix. They've got something called Live View, where ba- basically the way that it works is the front end client is very thin and it just asks for the HTML or the rendered result coming back from the server and pulls it in. And Paolo and I were just talking about this. And this is really just an age-old debate, right? Between a thin client 
and a thick client. And it's been raging since the 70s. Yeah, you know, I think that there are lots of applications that could that fall into the spectrum of I'll work whether the client is thin or thick. It doesn't make a difference. So in fact, most applications will work that way. I'd mm. say 90% of applications could fall into I work with thick, I work with thin. It doesn't matter. Mm. And then there's just like a very small portion of applications that need a, a thick back end or need a thick front end. Uh, really. And and so I'm not super interested in in discussing the nuances there personally. Like I if because like the the vast majority. And I would say 90% is not even close to accurate. It's more like 99% will work either way. Yeah. And so for me, it comes down to what does your team know? And what what do you want to build? What are the things that you really the the trade offs that you really want to make? Because it doesn't matter. I I'm definitely more front end heavy, and so mm-hmm. like I look at the the world through that lens. And I have seen thick or, or very thin front ends give reasonably good experiences, but I actually feel like the best experience that you can provide for the user is one that has a thick client. Not only a thick client. This is one of the reasons why I'm so excited about Remix is because I feel like it strikes the best balance of a the benefits that people want from a thin client with all of the the niceties of having a, th- a thick client where you can progressively enhance things and have really nice error messages that animate in and and you, just lots of better user experience things you don't have to have a full page refresh like what happens when you navigate and uh, the user fills out a form and then they sit submit and that's gonna with a, a thin front end that's going to do a full page refresh to take you to the next thing to show you the finished product of whatever you made. But oh no, there's an error message. And so now how do you make sure that the, the user's focus is preserved? Their their focus or or maybe their selections on different elements. So there's, there's a lot of things that you need to consider when you have or, or like their scroll position is actually a, another big one that is really difficult to preserve when you're handling error messages and stuff like that. So and on top of that, animating between different routes and things, you, you just can't do that without a, not necessarily a thick client, but a client that, and so I feel like there's a lot of a lot that's lost in the conversation of it's either one or the other. I think there's right. a more more nuance there. And I personally prefer the a, a front end, but I, I'm not so far on that side where I'd say everything should be client rendered and who cares about a back end. It should all just be rest. Static site generation is the best. Now I actually disagree with that. Yeah. And this is why I'm so excited about remix. Yeah, that's really interesting. And so for anyone who doesn't know, a thin client just means there isn't much logic in the client app that you're using. So it's just basically it gets everything from the server and a thick client would be where there's a lot of logic in the front end thing that you're using. I think, at least in my opinion, where a lot of people run into trouble is, and I'm going to coin a new term, Kent, like you heard it today, <laughs> Okay. when people are using a chubby client, right? So it's not <laughs> it's not thin and it's not thick. I feel and- attacked. <laughs> <laughs> you're feeling threatened. So th- this happens a lot when people are coming from more traditional web development and they start adding in maybe a React component. So then some of their logic is now in the React component and some of it is in the back end. And they kind of end up in this weird balance between the two. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where people run into a lot of problems because then you're like, okay, well, who is responsible for state? Who is responsible for the logic? And that's where I think a lot of traditional developers get tripped up when they try to enter React land or Vue land or, or whatever, because they try to take things in piecemeal. From my perspective, I think you need you need to pick one or the other. Either do it all server side or do it as much as you can client side and just because it simplifies your mental model. 
You know what I mean? What do you mm-hmm. think about that? Yeah, I would agree with that. And and there are some things that you really just have to do on the back end, like validation of data, right? You, you need to imagine what could my user do if they didn't have to use my client, which of course they don't, right? They can pull up HTTP client and they can just hit your back end. So you need to consider, okay, so what are the things that absolutely have to happen on the back end? This is validation and stuff. And there are libraries that you can use to share logic between the front end and back end, like using Node on the back end is really helpful for this reason that you can share this this code. But yeah, there are definitely some situation or some different things where you, if you do it on both the front end and the back end, then your front end is, you know, it's, you're just duplicating logic. And, and there are good reasons to do this, right? Like I, I want to have validation mm. as my user is typing. And yeah, sure, maybe I could make a network request every time, every character my user types, but then there are trade-offs on all of this stuff and you just have to evaluate those. But I, I do have some th- thoughts about this with regard to Remix again. I didn't realize mm. that the conversation was going to go back to Remix. So much. I know. Are they paying you well? Uh, no, I know. That, uh, <laughs> um, so, oh man, like... One of the one of the cool things about Remix is that it is all server rendered and then uh, rehydrated on the front end if you want it to. The, this is why it's really awesome from a progressive enhancement standpoint. Because if the JavaScript fails to load or if if you don't want to load it at all, then the whole application will work just like exactly correctly, exactly as you'd expect, even without the JavaScript that you were hoping that would load because it's progressively enhanced. And so if if the JavaScript doesn't load, then when you submit the form that it actually does the 20 years ago form submit that we've had forever. And then I feel like some PHP developers are sitting here and they're just like, what? What? This is what we used to do in the 90s. What, what, yeah, what? yeah, exactly. That, and that's what's so cool about this, because if your JavaScript does load, which most of the time it will, then that that same code that you wrote will just progressively enhance so that instead of doing a full page refresh and losing all of the, the scroll position and, and browser mm. state and whatever, instead of doing that full page refresh, you're going to, that'll happen through JavaScript. It'll happen asynchronously. You can have a pending state to show the user that stuff is happening. And then you can display those errors and they can animate in or whatever you want to do do. And uh, yeah, so because of the the way that this is structured, all of your validation logic actually does happen on the server. And so you write this code and it, it, yeah, the the validation itself will happen server side. So as soon as they hit the submit button, that hits the server, it does the validation. And if there are any errors, those errors will come back. And so it's not just making a a mini library out of your validation logic and sharing that with the front end and back end. It's literally Mm. the exact same code that's running, which is quite nice. I remember when Node started to be a big thing and I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. I wasn't much of a backend developer then either, but I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting, but I, I'm just fine with the, the Java thing. But people were, no, you don't get it. Like, this is awesome because now we can reuse code in the front end and back end. And that that was such a pipe dream. Like, nobody ever did that. Like, I mean, there, there's, to be fair, there are people who do this and, and they're like isomorphic libraries and stuff like that. But it never really seemed like it worked super well. So this is another thing that I'm really excited about remix just because it is it's literally the exact same code that runs when when you're doing those types of validation so i i, I had a very different reaction to node.js when i first saw it <laughs> so <laughs> i was a an ios and and mac app developer back when node.js was first released and i saw that they were running javascript on the server this is 2009 remember yeah, early time and i was just like are they expletive crazy you know <laughs> 
was like, I'm, I, at the, and understand the context, right? I'm not yeah, talking yeah. 2020. I'm talking 2009. I'm like, who in the world wants to run JavaScript on their server? Like, are you insane? Yeah. It I, was had inter- I had an internship in the late 90s where we were, Netscape had a server that let you run JavaScript on the server. That's been, yeah. whoa. It's been yeah, crazy. See, yeah. Y'all, y'all predate me. I was like, <laughs> that was definitely before my time. But I, I think it was like late 2010 when I heard about Node and I was like, oh, that's it. And, and that was like, I just barely started doing any development of any kind that time. So yeah, it, actually, you know what? That may have been even late 2011. But yeah, y- you know, at that time, JavaScript, not only was it not a super popular language, but it was the language that people did just because they had to and they mm-hmm, did yes. as little of it as possible. And so it was reviled in a lot yeah. of circles, yeah, to yeah, be honest. People, yeah. Like it was, it was the big joke. Yeah. But now JavaScript is the most popular language in the world. And lots of people, myself included, choose JavaScript when they can because they just, I, I enjoy writing JavaScript. I think it's a very fun language. It wasn't until I started writing JavaScript that I decided I wanted to be a developer. Mm. Um, programming until that time had just been a thing that I did so I didn't have to manually do some other task I wanted to do. So you're an excellent developer then because I've, I've long <laughs> said that excellent developers are fundamentally lazy because they uh, want to engineer <laughs> a solution that will automate things for them, you know? Yeah, yeah. that's a, that's exactly how I started getting into programming was just to automate other things I wanted to do. So computer programming was never a thing that I enjoyed. It was just a thing I had to do. But once I started writing JavaScript, it actually became a thing that I enjoyed. And I, I know that for some people that must sound ridiculous, but that's the way that I feel. <laughs> I don't think so. I think modern JavaScript, I think, is actually pretty nice. Um, mm. I think that the bad rap that it gets in some circles really is a weird result of the way that it evolved, right? Like it is kind of mm. crazy that front-end developers ended up using NPM as the source of truth for all of their packages. And the reason it's kind of crazy is, I understand it had it was a source of truth where they could have one repository and all that kind of stuff, but you can't even use the code from there on the front-end without some kind of tooling, some kind of transpilation, mm. some kind of something or other. So, a lot, so Webpack came, right? And then a whole host of tooling came and with that came angst i think Mm. (laughs) but things are getting better right we've got a modern module system we've got esm in the browser we got all this kind of fun stuff going on and Mm. you're right though that there are a lot of things on the front end that either you couldn't well i'm not i'm not gonna say couldn't because it's software you could do anything in anything really (laughs) but it would be very painful and you would hate your life and probably become a goat herder in montana or something like that if you tried to do some of these more complex acts without a React or a Vue or a Svelte or an Angular or whatever. Yeah, well, you know, and there are some things that you just cannot do without JavaScript, without something Mm. in the browser, especially, I I know a lot of people give React a hard time because it's not accessible, which never really made sense to me because it absolutely is totally... um, Yeah, why isn't it? Especially if it's server rendered, why wouldn't it be? I don't understand. Yeah, yeah. So I I honestly never really understood their arguments because it basically, (laughs) it came down to, well, people are are using the wrong tags for different things. It's like, well, that Mm. you could do in anything. It's not React that's that's doing that. But um, Kent, Kent, I have long said that you can give me any language, any framework, and I can build you something horrible. (laughs) Yes. I have that ability. 
you know? Yeah, yeah, you are very powerful, Andrew. But <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, I have that superpower. Yeah, but I wanted to say about accessibility that there are interactions that you cannot do without JavaScript to make mm. things accessible, like a combo box or even an mm. accordion. There are a lot of things that, I mean, unless you wanted to do a full page refresh, but even then it just, you, you know, focus management, you cannot do that without JavaScript. So I agree with you to a point that there are, you can almost do everything you need to in with just 100% backend, but uh, that's just almost, you need JavaScript for a lot of things that that frankly are uh, should be a requirement at any in any software project and, and also the way everything evolved you know getting back to what we're talking about here mm. is that react came out of deficiencies in the platform right so a lot mm. of the people who are more tra- traditional developers are people that say use the platform use the platform and there are a whole lot of developers that are like I would love to use the platform, but the platform is lagging. The platform will not let me do what I need to do. So we're going to build our own platform using, at the time, the only language that ran in a browser. Right. You know, and and I think that there's there's a mix here of people with with good intentions who said, hey, the platform just doesn't let me do this. Um, Mm. But then, and, and they were correct. But then... Some people took it too far, uh, or a lot of the community. A lot took, of people. Yeah, a yeah. lot of people took it too far, and they, they started re-implementing a lot of platform features that worked perfectly well. And, and I'm yep. absolutely in this category. A big one for me right now is caching. We have our browser that, or our own caching strategies that are all implemented in JavaScript, and they've served me really well. Like They're, they're really nice APIs. They're certainly nicer APIs than some of the browser things, mm. um, and, and it's easier to use, especially when we're talking about a 100% client-side app where all I need to do is put this file on a CDN and I'm done. Whereas if I want to use some of the platform, I have to do a little bit more on the back end. And if I'm a 100% front-end engineer, then mm. I, I don't want to touch that stuff. And then there's like the DevOps things that you have to do to configure your right. CDN for different stuff. Yeah. Like, I don't want to do that. But if we can figure out a way to make those things more approachable for the front-end engineers, they don't have to feel like they need to re-implement those perfectly great technologies themselves, like caching browser cache stuff and got your cache control headers that can do a lot of really awesome things if you use them properly. But lots of us front end engineers don't feel comfortable in DevOps and and backend type environments. And so this is one of the things that I'm looking forward to in the next five to 10 years of of seeing even more commoditization of making the right thing, the easy thing so that I can focus even more of my time. We continue on this path we've been on for a long time of just spending more of my time just on what's unique, like the value proposition of whatever it is I'm building. And you make a really good point about people that are criticizing, well, let's just say React, but it could be any of the front-end frameworks for them not being accessible or whatever because div tags are used everywhere. Mm. Well, you know, really, I mean, to me, that speaks of the complexity of the stack and the complexity of what people are asked to build, where you'll have someone enter maybe a, a React boot camp or something, and they'll come out a month or two later, and they'll start building stuff and they'll have no idea that the platform can do some of these other things. And they'll have no idea why you shouldn't use a div for a button or whatever. But blaming the framework for that is ridiculous. Like, that doesn't yeah. even make any sense. That's an it's like, education problem. That's a yeah. learning the fundamentals problem. That, well, that's it's a blaming other, a hammer. whole other discussion we can have with the fundamentals of things. But um, yeah. Mm. yeah so. Well, it, it's blaming a hammer for someone not driving the nails in straight or, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, it, yeah. 
it just it just doesn't really make any sense. And then on the kind of the the flip side of that, it's interesting from a if you were a PHP or not even PHP, a backend developer, a Ruby, PHP, Go, you know, what, whatever it is, and you see JavaScript where they're like, oh, cool, we can do all this stuff in the client. And then they end up with this really thick client and the performance is awful because it's got to load all this stuff and it's asking mobile devices to do a whole lot of layout and compute things that just don't work out well. So they say, okay, we're going to take that and we're actually going to render that on the back end. And then we're going to have all of this tooling. We're going to use a, a Next.js or a Nux.js or whatever to make it easier to do all this stuff. I think you're right, man. I think we need some kind of a layer so that I just don't have to deal with a lot of this stuff. Like I, if I'm a front end developer, I should be focused on building whatever my thing is. And I shouldn't have to worry about, I shouldn't even have to know necessarily what server side rendering is. Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. you know, I, and this is actually why I think Next.js plus Vercel has gone like worked out so well um, mm. because Vercel that or used to be Zite, they have this platform and then they have a framework that's tailor made to sit in that platform and and the experience de developer experience is really great and because they can make some of these assumptions they can make their platform operate really optimally without people mm. having to figure out how to twist the right knobs and screw in the right screws that all just kind of works and I, I think we're gonna see more of this in the future. And I hope we do, especially because this is not the type of work that I like to do. <laughs> so well, I, okay. I, I just want to build my app and, and let other people do that. <laughs> so ironically, I've just finished doing a big Webpack 5 rebuild and configuration stuff Fun. that yeah, <laughs> that I'm planning to release. And I know. And so your, your reaction is that of a lot of front end developers that I know, they're just like Webpack. I don't even want to know what it is. Like, I don't want to mm. touch it. I hate it. I don't want to learn it. And I get that. Like, that totally makes sense to me that you wouldn't want to have to learn that. But I sort of view Webpack sort of like GCC or LLVM. It's, it, you know, it's like a low level compiler tool that lots of other stuff can be built on. And you won't mm. necessarily have to know a whole lot about Webpack unless something goes wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if there's a problem. So, Ken, are we worried at all that if we do stack this tooling on? So let's say that we do, we're using the, the platform. And then on top of that, we're using JavaScript. And then we're using React. And then we're using Next. And then we're using Remix. Could we get into an idiocracy situation where we're all, we're all working at the top and something at the bottom breaks and, and nobody knows how to fix it? Well, you know, like we can apply the, the same logic to any technology at all. Um, so I know nothing about how my computer works. <laughs> mm. Like, I mean, I, I learned about transistors in college and stuff like that, but I have very little understanding of, about how it works. And when things go wrong, I, I go to the genius bar or something like yeah. I, I have them fix it. There will always be somebody. Wait, do you actually, can't, it, it, could I find Kent C. Dodd sitting at the Genius Bar? Oh, yeah. Are you kidding? Yeah, of course. <laughs> That's great. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I really, I have, I mean, it's not like. Okay. I have a story for you, Ken. I'm yeah. going to make you feel so much better. This is great. Yeah. So I've been a long time Apple developer, low level C assembly, all kind of stuff. And I had one of those. Do you remember those trash can Macs? Yeah, yeah. So I had one of those and I'd rearrange my office a little bit and I would go down to work and the thing would just turn itself off. And I was just like, what? You know, just randomly would turn itself off. Mm. And it was driving me crazy. I did all sorts of diagnostics. I tried, you know, rewiring the core. I tried everything. Nothing worked. So I bring the thing into the Apple store and I'm sitting there. I'm totally defeated because for me, this is like the ultimate defeat yeah, that yeah. I cannot like, figure out what's of going shame. on. <laughs> oh, totally walk of shame. Worse than anything I ever did in college. Okay. So I'm going in there with it and they plug it in and everything works fine. Uh. And I'm just like, huh. And they left it there for a good, I think I left it there for an hour or something. I came back and I looked at it and it was still working. And then I looked more carefully and I was like, oh my God. 
Oh my God. I had it upside down, Kent. What? I had the stupid cylinder thing upside down. And the way the venting on that thing works is it sucks air through the bottom and goes up the top, like kind of oh like a chimney, right? Oh my gosh. <laughs> if you flip it over, <laughs> you don't have a chimney anymore. You got an oven. You know what I mean? Wow. So what would... <laughs> So what was happening was it was just overheating and it was protecting itself and it was shutting off. Now, I noticed this and the the Apple tech was just looking at me and I had that moment where I was like, do I come clean? (laughs) And I didn't. I said, all right, well, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm just going to take this home now. (laughs) Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. So don't feel bad if you've ever been sitting at the at the Apple bar. I, I mean, I, yeah, I like I, I have I'll do plenty of troubleshooting and stuff. And, and I actually feel like it's really if you want to va- level up on whatever level or uh, whatever technology you're using, mm. you look at the tech that that is using. So just go one layer down on the abstraction level and yeah. learn about that. And then that will level you up on on the one that you're looking at. So, yeah, um, I, I do believe that it is useful to understand how our abstractions work. But I don't think that we'll ever get to the point where we're all just building on top of this thing and and nobody knows anything of, of how it all works underneath there there are always you know as long as there's a market for that now i i should caveat this and say that i do know that there are some open source libraries that are highly depended on but only like one maintainer who's barely maintaining it and so that's uh-huh. when it comes to open source that's a little bit different but you know it life finds a way and eventually if that thing is in disrepair and the people all the people who are using it need something they're going to find something else like somebody else is going to build something and we're all going to migrate to that. And this this has happened many times. So I, I don't really expect that we'll end up in a situation where we are all building on top of it abstractions and nobody knows how yeah. to work below. Some people just really like that lower level and, and hopefully they always will because I don't want to work down there. <laughs> See, I personally do. First of all, I love the Jurassic Park reference. That was beautiful. Life does find a way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I personally, so first of all, I, I come from doing low level stuff. So I really enjoy knowing how the thing works under the hood. And this is actually probably a fault as well as a blessing because it really irritates me if I don't understand how things are actually working under the hood, you know? Mm. So, and, and the other reason is I just, I have always found that no matter what project I'm working on at some point, as you know, we had Sean Larkin on from Webpack and I, mm. I mentioned, you know, he always says it always starts with zero config and, and it does like you get the run, <laughs> you get the ground running, but I haven't had a project yet where of any complexity, simple projects I have, but of any complexity where at some point I haven't had to reach in and do a little bit of something custom, you know, to the Webpack config to get it to do that custom thing. Yeah. But anyway, so here's, you mentioned Remix as something that you you really love. Here's a quote from Ryan Florence, one of the, the authors of Remix, and I, I'm curious what you think about his, what he's writing here. He says, there's a chance that I believe that client-side routing on the web is usually not preferred. What do you think about that? As someone who originally wrote React Router, right? Yeah. It's crazy. Um- that that is interesting. I I'd be interested to get a little bit more context on that. So I bet you he was thinking about it when he was working on Remix, which does a little bit of both. But I'll read you the full quote, and I'll, obviously I'll, I'll send actually, it to you. I, I just found it. I oh, did. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. So so here he says it might be best for screens where the majority of the UI persists, which is the mm. edge case. Browsers handle page transitions really well. Still working through my thoughts. So you know, I I I think I understand what he means by this, and and uh, actually he's got a big long thread, which I won't 
won't take time to read right now about this. Oh yeah, but, <laughs> it's uh, real long. <laughs> but there's there's a lot that browsers have just gotten right. Like what one good mm. example of this is if I am looking at a list of movies and then I click on that list of movies and I'm doing client side routing, there are two ways that I can do this. Well, well let's talk about the server side first. So when I click on it, I'm going to get a little spinner in my favicon position or whatever, and and so like and we're going to see that things are loading. The the browser already has affordances for those types of experiences when you're making those transitions. But it's really easy for developers who are on fast connections and stuff to not think about that. And so if they're doing client-side routing, they're either going to just navigate immediately and then you'll see a page full of spinners while you load the data, which is what happens most of the time. And the reason that happens is because we actually prefer to co-locate our data requirements with the code that requires the data. And so you don't know what data you need until you get to that page. So you've got to navigate there first. That's why that naturally happens, just because we like to co-locate our data requirements. But what probably and arguably should happen is as soon as the user clicks on that movie, we should go and get the data that is needed for that page so that when we do make the transition, there are no spinners. And this is, has a couple of benefits too, where if it is quite fast, then you don't see any spinners at all. It's just like a, a momentary waiting for something to happen and then boom, it's all right there and it's it's mm-hmm. ready. So in, anyway, I, I think that most of the time we, should, we shouldn't navigate until we're ready to, to display something, just like the browsers have been doing for, for ages. So I think that what Ryan means by this is when, when we go with client-side routing, we often lose out on some of the user experience of providing those necessary affordances. We're, we're either going to show a bunch of spinners immediately or, mm. and, and therefore like we remove everything that the user was looking at before and now they're just looking at a spinner. Whereas with old browser routing technology for like forever that we've had, the user's able to, to continue to look at what they see. They, they see that something's happening. They were re- reacting to what they've done, but they aren't just looking at a white page with this, a bunch of spinners. Yeah, and also leverage the platform, right? So if the platform is pretty good at doing stuff like preloading pages or or page Mm. transitions, why not use it? And maybe, maybe, and I'm curious what you two folks think about this, maybe it would be fair to say that the front-end JavaScript is sort of a proving ground for ideas. And the ideas that really show their resilience are the ones that end up then getting incorporated into the browser. So we, for a long time, one of the reasons we used Webpack was not just to transpile modern code into code that will run in a browser, you know, again, waiting for the browser to catch up with the language, but also to do module imports because there was no ESM. Well, okay, now the browser has native ESM and we're seeing a whole bunch of things that are stepping up and leveraging that. So maybe maybe that's one of the things that having this really flexible JavaScript front end is good for is being a proving ground for ideas and the ideas that really work can then get pulled into the browser and then we should leverage those. What do you think? Yeah, there are features from jQuery were built into the browser and stuff like yeah. that. I, I absolutely feel like that's the case. I don't expect that we'll ever see a React component model in the browser or anything like that. I, I would be very surprised if something like that were to ever happen or like build JSX in the browser. That that I don't think it will ever happen. I also don't think that we'll ever get TypeScript type definitions in the browser. That, mm. I don't think that'll ever happen either. But What about I, match sorter? Are we ever going to get something like match sorter rolled into <laughs> JavaScript? I, I hope not. <laughs> you know, that there's something to be said for, here's the problem. As soon as the standards take a stand on anything, then that, that kind of kills innovation. It, it's breeding ground for innovation, but it also kills the comp- 
competing ideas, right? Because um, mm, when when you right. build something that's already built in the browser, everybody's asking you like, why are you doing this? The the thing that's in there, maybe it's not perfect, but it's good enough. Move on to something else. So you want to avoid doing stuff like that. This is why I, I say we shouldn't, you don't need to standardize everything that everybody's doing. Like lots of people say, why don't we just put React in the browser and be done with it? No, I, I don't think that we should do that. But uh, yeah, and I... I think that just kind of going back to what what Ryan is talking about, I, I kind of read through some of this stuff, and and he's mostly talking about the when when you go with client side routing, you just get a lot of things wrong. Mm-hmm. He, he talks about scroll positions, flashing spinners all over, yeah. ignoring focus. One thing also that client side routing kind of misses is that we often will just miss caching. So the whole page, you right. you can have that whole page cached unless that page is all being rendered from the on the client just through a, a client navigation. So yeah, there there are a couple of things that. that that we can get wrong. But again, this is another thing. Ryan's clearly been thinking about this for a long time. This is another thing that Remix is is addressing, tackling really well. So just another plug for, for how awesome Remix is. <laughs> All right, Ken, now I'm really starting to get concerned. I really think you're getting paid off by, by Ryan and Michael for, so for this Remix. They, uh, in full transparency, they are very close friends of mine. I've been friends with them for a long time. And I. so one thing that you need to know about me is that when I'm excited about something, it there's like some cognitive dissonance in my mind for why mm. other people aren't as excited about it as I Me am. Me too. So, yeah. <laughs> so I'm constantly like, you don't get it. Like, if you're not as excited about it as I am, then obviously you're missing something. So let me make sure that I fill you in. Because I know. what See, and, and let me just give you some marital advice. This is a terrible idea <laughs> to do with your wife. I've tried it to get her. I've tried it to get her involved in, you know, the different TV shows like The Boys and, and Firefly and all that kind of stuff. And just it doesn't end well. It just, yeah, it yeah. Doesn't <laughs> Thanks work. for that advice. No, yeah. I appreciate you uh, you mentioning all these features. I've, I've been loosely following Remix, but for the past like eight or nine months, I've been in a job where I haven't been doing much front-end development, which has been paining me a great <laughs> deal. So I haven't been able to be in sort of the space, but I've been loosely following Remix and it sounded like a really cool idea. I mean, but then it, I had that thought in my mind, well, this seems like sort of like a, a paid version of Next, but these features that mm. you're talking about and the fact that you, you you write the code and it's basically delivered by the server, but it will run in the browser as well and rehydrate it if, if JavaScript is on, sounds super interesting and, and really amazing. A lot of people compare it to Next. They they say, oh, it's a paid version of Next with fewer engineers working on it. And, and <laughs> with... <laughs> and, and with a smaller community and with several years missing Head Start, there are actually a lot of things that differentiate Remix from Next. And and one of the biggest ones is a feature that they just recently released, which is a, a new Forms API, which is what enables it to be like totally server-side rendered, pro- progressively enhanced, which Next may be able to implement some of that. But there are some, just the way that Remix is architected, I, I don't think that Next will be able to, to do this. And, and it'll end up being just a, a bucket of trade-offs like everything. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the most interesting thing to me about Remix is not any of the technology or any of the cool stuff that you're excited about, Kent. So the most interesting thing to me about Remix is the business model that they chose. So Hmm. one of the things that I think the JavaScript community as a whole has been pretty terrible about is a way to monetize things. Typically, the, the only real way to do it is you'll come up with a really popular open source project and then you'll become a paid speaker or you'll do training videos or and you'll you'll make some money there or maybe you'll get some client work that comes through it mm-hmm. but there are tons of other ecosystems even like the wordpress ecosystem that people can make excellent livings being plugin developers for wordpress for instance right and there isn't any of that or not much of that in the javascript world and the i know github sponsors i know but it's not the that same is, 
<laughs> no, that's yeah, that's another thing that Ryan mentioned is that within I don't remember the exact quote, but within a couple of days. Yeah, so to clarify, what they're actually doing is they're selling licenses to remix. If you want to use it, you have to pay for it. Novel concept, I know. Um, <laughs> and typically or prior to that, they had had GitHub sponsors where, you know, you could pay them some money to work on it. And they said something like within the first two days, they they surpassed all of the revenue they'd made in the last two or three years from React Router or whatever. And mm-hmm. that to me was the interesting thing is that, and look, I, monetizing something isn't the be all end all. I think there are other motivations that people will use to maintain stuff, but everyone out there has found the perfect package on GitHub or NPM. And then they go to look at it. And the last time it was updated was three years ago. Mm. And I do think that money is a motivator. It's not the only motivator. You also might do it for personal pride reasons. You might do it for the fact that your company needs this thing and will maintain it. But I really think that the ecosystem needs a better way to monetize things. And to me, that was the most interesting thing about Remix is that they had chose to make it kind of, if you want it, you got to buy it. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I just want to say one thing about the sponsors thing. My friend Eric Berry, he once told me that sponsorship typically ends up being a situation where a bunch of open source developers gather in a circle and they take a dollar out of their wallet and hand it to the person to their left. (laughs) Right. Because like the people who should be paying are the companies. They're the Mm -hmm. ones who are making money off Mm -hmm. of this, you know, and and you should invest in yourself too. And maybe one day you'll be a company, but it it really sponsorship doesn't seem to, I I mean, it works for some people, especially if you're a webpack or something, but I, I haven't turned on sponsorship for specific projects because I don't know what to do with that money. Money, um, mm, right? Like, yeah. how do I distribute that to my contributors? I'm, I didn't build this myself. So I, I don't want to get into that murky water. I really like the approach that Ryan and Michael have taken. And the other interesting thing about this is if we're going to compare it to Next, then let's go ahead. Next is a open source project provided by Vercel. And for Vercel, it's an investment because- Yeah, it's a loss we're, leader. We're, yeah. Exactly. The, the more people who, who learn and use Next, the more people who will go into their product because Next is tailor-made. I, I mean, it works with, you can deploy it anywhere Node can be deployed, but it is tailor-made for Vercel. And so mm-hmm. for Vercel, the company, Next is a cost center. Like that that's costing them money. It's like marketing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But with, with Ryan and Michael and Remix, Remix is their product. And so they are going to pour all of their focus and energy on making Remix as good of a product as, as they can. And for a long time, they were had gone the, the route of training and stuff. And so, okay, so you, you use React Router and you love it, right? Now let us... The creators of React Router teach you how to use React and stuff mm-hmm. like, and that that's actually kind of been my model a little bit. I created a testing library and and then I sell testingjavascript.com. And so I say, hey, if you think testing library is pretty cool, then let me teach you everything I know about testing. And that yeah. that actually works out pretty well. But it, but it's still open but not everyone can do that, you know. Mm. Yeah, it, that's it true. takes a unique human to be able to be to have the right brain to create something like the testing library, but then also have the left brain to be able to communicate it. It is not a, a common that people have both of those, Ken. Yes, I agree with you. And and that's that's the other shame. Like it would be really nice if we could just say, you're really good at building this thing. And we live in a capitalist society. And so you're you're rewarded, what you know, for better or worse, you're rewarded based on the value that you create. And if people are in people in open source were truly rewarded based on the value you that they create, which is impossible 
to measure. But if we mm. were able to measure that, then they'd be sitting on stacks of cash. Right. But, but they they aren't. And you know that that's not for me. I, I get yeah, just the, a lot the core of the JS guy wouldn't be in jail. He would be sitting yeah. on a pile of money somewhere. Exactly. Right? Yeah. He'd you know post bail and he'd be fine. So right. it, it kind of open source and financing has always been a, a big challenge, and everybody has different opinions on it. But I, I think that I'm really encouraged by what Ryan and Michael are doing. I hope that it's really successful for them because I I think it would be great to have other people follow mm-hmm. in their path. You know, it's it's hilarious to me because uh, because I'm so vocal about Remix, people are always saying, "Oh, that's super expensive" or whatever. I, I think it's like 250 bucks for per year. How much does your computer cost? Yeah. Like. What this is such a, a a core piece, and this is the thing with software developers is we always think, oh, like I would never pay for something I could build myself. Right. But what is, what is wrong with you? You like you don't value your time. Yeah. Like it would take you weeks and weeks of maintaining and building and all of this stuff. Or you can just do a one-time payment a year for this. And like your boss should be doing that anyway. And then you don't have to worry about it. You can just go build your product. It's just so silly how little developers value their time sometimes. But it's in the so case true. of Remix, it's like how many years have they spent getting to this point where they can connect all those dots too? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just weeks. You're right. And it, it's funny the way it, it's the same everywhere. So Craft CMS is a content management system that a lot of people listening use and they're they're aware of it and it's paid as well, right? And we get the same argument, you know, why pay for this or it's free stuff all over the place. But yeah, man, it's the same thing. Why would you not pay for something that saves you an inordinate amount of time? Right. And also I want, let's say that I stake my claim on Craft CMS or I stake my claim on Remix. I want them to stay in business. I want them to stay motivated. I want them to keep maintaining this thing. I would love to see them succeed. Why would I not give them money? And in Mm -hmm. the grand scheme of things, $250 a year is nothing compared to the cost of employing developers. I mean, it's just, it's insane to me. You know? Right. And, you know, and uh, we should caveat all of this by saying $250 a year is different for everybody, you know, depending on where you are in the world and, and stuff. And and in the future, that $250 is for the developer supporter preview. And so right. it, it's not released. They, they are going to have probably like a community edition or some some preview, something in the future that'll be free. So trial based thing. But yeah. Well, when, when I say it's nothing, though, Ken, I don't mean toward the individual developers. I mean, to the companies that are right. developing the thing, whether it's the company that freelancers have been hired to build or the the agency company that's been contracted to build stuff pretty much anywhere in the world if they're building something at scale with javascript developers 200 bucks a year isn't much now it, it would be you're right to individual developers potentially somewhere but to the company that this thing that is being built has persistent value i, I don't know you know mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and, and you're right i i want them to stay in business i i really like that what i'm in investing in the thing that I'm using and therefore makes sense that the thing that I'm using would get better with with Next.js. I'm, you know, if I'm using that and like I'm just sucking value out of the developers who are working on any open source project, I'm just sucking value out of them and Mm -hmm. I I can provide value back in the form of, you know, contributions and stuff, but I'm not securing for myself that this will continue to exist unless I'm doing something like that. Um, Right. Whereas with Remix, I am doing something to secure its continued progress and existence. And speaking of giving back, let's talk about giving back to yourself, which is what your training is all about. So everything that you make, because I know we've been talking about Remix a bunch here, but Kent, I want to talk about your stuff too. So I want to talk about (laughs) 
I want to talk about Epic React. And I, I think in terms of reinvesting, I personally believe that one of the best things you can do is reinvest in yourself. So mm-hmm. I carve away a certain number of hours every week for learning new stuff. And I book around that. You know, that is a an immovable object in my week that I always designate some time to learn some new thing. And then on every new project, if I can, I try and pull in a new technology that I've been interested in or whatever. Let's talk about some of the stuff that you do and and what does Epic React do in terms of making us a better developer? Oh, so... Thank you. I, I love I love talking about Epic React. So I, I've been teaching not just React, but teaching for a, as long as I can remember, but teaching software since even before I graduated college. So mm. like back in 2013, I somewhere around there, I actually wrote a decade in review that you can find on my blog to tell you my whole story. But yeah, so I've been teaching for a very long time and I've learned things that work and things that don't. And I'm kind of a mission-based person. So I, I try to do things that, that go along with my mission. And my, and my goal and my mission of teaching is I I want to make sure that you remember what I've taught you. So retention mm. is really important to me. And so over the years, I've been developing different strategies and, and researching on how to make sure that when we're done uh, with the time that I've that we've spent together, that you remember the stuff that I've taught. So I'm I'm less interested in whether or not you feel like you've learned, and more interested in whether you actually learned. And so there, there's a big difference there, actually. So lots of the the way that I present the stuff that I'm teaching is uncomfortable for some people because I don't actually teach you anything until after you've tried it. Mm. This is this is a very important concept. It's called generation. You can read a book called Make It Stick where lots of my ideas about teaching and learning come from. But I, I present you a problem, like a problem you would face at work. And I say, I need you to solve this problem. Here's all the resources that you need. You know, when you're at work, you've got Google and stuff. I expect you to use it just like uh, you do at work. And so here are all the resources you need. Go learn about it on your own and then solve this problem. And then when you're done, then you when you watch me solve it, all of the an- questions that came into your mind will be answered as, as you go through that process. What the traditional way to do this is I make you 350 videos and you just sit on your couch and you watch it. That mm. will not retention make. <laughs> like that does not, that is not effective. But that's that's how I, I will only name Udemy because I think they're a shady company. Uh, I normally don't call out specific uh, companies, but you this is Unibee's business model. Is you sit back. I, I know that some of the instructors. I, I I highly respect the instructors. Nothing against right. the instructors. It's yep. the the company itself that I have strong feelings against. But this that's basically the way that it works. It's like you sit back, mm. you watch this thing, you think that you're learning, but when you go down to actually do it, you totally don't get it. You're lost. It's a placebo. To yeah, some exactly. Yeah. yeah, you think yeah. that you're you're learning this stuff, but you're not. So I uh, the way that I think of Epic React is that it's not a video course. It is a semester class. And Mm. I'm going to take you through. And if you're doing it right, it should take about a semester. So 14, 15 weeks to to go through this, uh, all of this material. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, Hold on, Kent. These boot camps tell me I can learn React in 30 days. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, LOL. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I can teach you the fundamentals and I've got a, a workshop that's the fundamentals. You can learn that in a week. I, I don't, provided that you have the prerequisites of JavaScript experience and stuff. So that's, those are different. Um, but yeah. So anyway, the, the way that I, I try to teach this is I say, here's the problem. Here are the resources you need to solve this problem. Go solve it. And as you're going through that process, whether or not you actually successfully complete the exercise is totally irrelevant. In fact, if you don't get it, that's actually better uh, because mm. you 
that that struggle to try and figure it out and trying things that don't work, that is actually what solidifies it in your mind. And so when you watch the the video of me going through it and answering all the questions that I typically get when when I have given this to to actual developers, all of the questions that you came into your mind are going to get answered just ding 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 and you'll have a like that is what solidifies it. And then after all of that is done, I have you write down the things that you learned. And that's a, a specific and important part of the whole process is for you to to in a two or three sentences, maybe even a short blog post, tell me what you learned in the course of this exercise. And I don't often read those. Uh, I'll read the feedback if they leave it, but I typically don't read those. It's it's 100% for you because thinking about, okay, so I learned this, that, and the other will help to further solidify in your mind what you've learned. It's like uh, the kids, when my kids are reading stories and they make them at the end summarize, you know, what did you learn from this story? And it forces mm-hmm. them to go back, maybe even reread it, you know, to, mm-hmm. to go back and, and pull something out of it. But yeah, that makes total sense to me that retention would be more valuable than just sitting there and, and being able to say that you watched this course and you got a Cheeto stain on your belly. It'd be better. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be better if you actually re- remembered some of it and were able to do something with it. Well, Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, the other thing that I haven't been able to do in lots of my other stuff. So previous to Epic React, I would make courses on front-end masters or, or Egghead. Love front-end masters. Yeah, they're great. I, I'm, I haven't created with them for a while, but I, I really, I love Mark. He's awesome. But the, the problem with that is the courses are of such a length that I don't have the opportunity to do what I've done with Epic React. And that is mm. with Epic React, I give you, a, so let me take a step back. With all of teaching, you have this big challenge and that is how do I make sure that they remember the thing that I'm teaching them? And with the exercises that you create to facilitate that type of learning, you have two choices. You can either do like a foo bar. That's that's one end of the spectrum where it's just totally disconnected from any reality at all. Mm. Or you can go to the total other end of the spectrum where you've got a real production application and you're just trying to work within one segment of that. And there are problems with both of these approaches. So with foo bar, maybe you can focus on whatever it is you're trying to learn with here's how props work or whatever. But that could be disconnected from reality where you're like, I don't know how this applies in the real world. With the full built-in application, you have to spend like multiple hours and sometimes days. Have you ever started a new job? This is what you have to do just to learn this content is you have to figure out the domain of whatever it is that you're learning about. And so that's a big challenge. And so, and if you try to do some, something in the middle that you kind of suffer both counts. And so it, it's it's kind of difficult. So what I what Epic React has allowed me to do is I have these workshops, these seven workshops that are pretty focused. Each exercise is fairly isolated. They sometimes build on each other, but it's it's pretty focused. I try to, it's certainly better than FUBAR, but it, it is pretty, sometimes it's like a counter or something that you wouldn't typically build so that I can focus in on, you here, we're going to learn about React. React use state. And I don't want you to have to worry about uh, class names or anything else. Like we're just focused on use state here. And so you can learn that API really well. And then, uh, and we do that for a bunch of different concepts in those seven workshops. And then the eighth workshop, it's actually four workshops from the size of it, but it's let's build a React application together. And we're going to use the things that you learned in those other seven workshops to Mm. build this in a real world application. So you can see what that actually looks like. So this is like the karate kid. 
It's like the Karate Kid where he's doing the wax on, the wax off, and he That's has right. no idea why he's doing it. But then his muscles are, they're trained by the time he's actually fighting, right? Exactly. That's, that's you know, I, I will just pretend to say that that was where my inspiration came from. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, it, it ends up working out really, really well because I, I typically recommend, okay, go through this workshop and then go through the first part of the building an application to solidify that in your mind. And then go through the second workshop and go through the next couple exercises of building the application. And, and so you're going back back and forth. What's even better is you take this stuff and you apply it in your work, whatever you're doing. That's that's where the real solidification comes in is when you actually start to apply the things that you're learning in a real world setting. And I do the best that I can, can by providing you this application that we build together. But ultimately, people do need to take this into their actual work. But this is the this is the thing that really sets Epic React apart from anything else that I've seen and anything else that I've done is that I give you the benefits of learning something in isolation so that you aren't distracted by all the extras so that you can draw a box around what this abstraction is and you understand what its purpose is and then how that same thing applies in a real world setting. So let's say I'm a person listening to this. What assumed knowledge do I need to have before I could approach Epic React? What what should I at least as a minimum know before I get into this thing? Right. I, I think that's an important thing to point out because, you know, like obviously you're going to need to know how to type. Uh, you're going to need a, a <laughs> sure. computer, you're, like you're going to yeah. need an internet connection. But as far as some of the things that you you need to know is I assume that you know JavaScript. I'm not here to teach you JavaScript on Epic React. I, eventually, I plan on having some let's learn JavaScript together thing. I may even make that free, like a mini series or something like that to get so take to a West Boss course first. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. In fact, I have a how to React blog post where I, I give you here is the order in which you should learn React, uh, the order mm. of things that you should learn because it can be overwhelming. So yeah, you definitely want to learn. And and in that, I s suggest a couple West Boss courses because he's got some really great stuff there. Mm -hmm. um, and, and actually, I have some some free stuff on YouTube that I reference in that blog post as well. But then if you're like, I think I know JavaScript, I'm not sure. What what do you mean when you say you need to know JavaScript? So I've got this other blog post called JavaScript You Need to Know for React. And I give you just a, a list of features, JavaScript features that I use a lot in the, the code that I write with React. And if you feel comfortable with all those features, then you're ready to go. So yeah, I expect that you know JavaScript, HTML and CSS. We don't do a ton with, with those. those. Those are they're pretty simple from a, the standpoint of the different features that you need right. to know. Once you start building a, a full application, you got to start thinking about accessibility and mm -hmm. how do you write CSS in a way that scales with the team so it isn't a disaster. So, and, and I show you some of that in Epic React as well. But yeah, just having a fundamental understanding of those technologies and then the modern JavaScript features is really all I expect of you. I don't expect any React experience at all. Now, if, if you have no React experience, then I would caution that you shouldn't expect to be able to go through Epic React in a couple of weeks because there, this this stuff is for people who know nothing about React and it's also for people who know everything about React, mm. who have tons of experience. And so if you think that you can go from, I know nothing about React to, I know how to optimize a React app performance and I know how to use all these fancy patterns for composition and stuff. If you think you can do that in just a couple of weeks, then you're wrong. That is not a thing that you can do. So the expectation is that it is like a semester class at a, a university where it's not the only thing that you're doing for the course of that three or four months, but it's one of the things that you're learning and, and you come back to it and, and you work on the assignments and then you go and live your life and then you come back a few weeks later or whatever, or, or a week later after you've had some experience with the thing that, that you've been learning. So, so as long as I know JavaScript and I know some of the, you know, a couple of the modern features of JavaScript, I should be good to go. But depending on how much experience I have, 
it may take me longer or shorter to go through the whole course. I mean, I guess it's sort of like a self-paced independent study kind of course, as opposed to one that's... Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what a a good way to compare it or to think about it. A lot of people see it and they say, oh, it's an online course. It is not an online course. And that's reflected in the amount of content as well as the the type of content. It is a self-paced workshop. Uh, It's really, it's 11 self-paced workshops and nobody can go through that super quickly. Even actually, my wife asked me this just yesterday. If I were to go through it myself with all the experience that I have, and I I went and did every exercise and I watched every video, it would take me over a week Mm -hmm. um, of dedicated. This is all I do for the eight hours every day because including bathroom time and yeah, yeah, all of that. We'll just include it all because you need to. I've got resources in there. I expect you to read, you know, Mm. blog posts and things. Uh, This is not just let me sit back in my recliner and watch these videos. I am interested in you actually learning this stuff. And you cannot do that without reading the blog posts, without uh, watching or working through the exercises, watching the videos. And then we have a Discord server where you can ask questions and talk with other people who are going through it. And our, our community on Discord is actually phenomenal, by the way. And then we even for the people who are actually interested in really getting this stuff, we also have this program called KCD Learning Clubs, where you can put together a group of up to nine other people to, to go through the content together. We have a recommended schedule for going through the curriculum and and you can watch it together if you want to, or you can just watch it separately and then talk about it once a week or something. So however you want to set that up, but we've got maybe a dozen of these going on right now and people love it. So I, I really want to give this a this is different from an online course. This is unlike anything anybody's ever done, I'm sure. Well, it makes I, sense I, I to like me that. what you're saying. It makes sense to me what you're saying, where the amount of time it's going to take you varies. And so, okay, as an example, I do a decent amount of technical blogging, and I have this one blog post on Webpack 4 that it won't shock you to learn that it's incredibly long. (laughs) It's super long. And if you've seen on medium.com, they give you this, how long the read time of this article was. Yeah. You've seen that. Mm -hmm. I always thought that for technical articles, that was the dumbest thing in the world because it it just doesn't make any sense. It's not a novel Mm. that you read through from start to finish. So I hard coded it on all of my blogs where it says (laughs) that every single blog is a five minute read, right? So you'll have this 30 page, highly technical Webpack config blog and it'll say five minute read, but it's kind of (laughs) me kind of like with a wink and a nod, making a joke, like it's stupid to have a read time, just like on your course, it would be dumb to have a completion date or, you know what I mean? Cause it's going to, mm-hmm. it depends on, depends on you. And it depends on how many times you go back and re-reference stuff and relearn stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. And it makes sense that you, you know, you're not teaching a course where start on this date and you will finish on this date. No, I mean, it's, it's not the way it's going to work. It's going to depend on you, how much effort you put in, and then also where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. Some people will have a larger base of knowledge, but then also certain concepts will be easier for one person than another. I mean, it's just, yep. that's just the way things go. You know? And this is one of the reasons why I strongly advise using the learning clubs as a resource is mm. because it makes a big impact on your retention by having people to discuss this with and not feeling like you're going through this all on your own. So the learning clubs are there. And, and even if you don't want to do a learning club, we have the Discord server there so that you can have a group of people to say, hey, I didn't get that or I was really confused or this was really difficult for me. And people say, yeah, it was kind of difficult for me until I understood this one thing or whatever. Right. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, Kent, we went a little bit over, but I wanted to make sure that we didn't just turn this into a commercial for Remix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was that was my bad. You know, I <laughs> no, it's not, it's, no. I, see, that's why I like having conversations like these, right? Because they go where they go, you know. Mm. But I did want to make sure that we covered Epic React well. But I, I think that about wraps it up for another episode of the Devmo.fm podcast. If you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe, tell a friend, drop us a review. We'd really appreciate it for the devmode.fm podcast i'm andrew welch i'm paul elias and thank you kent c dodds for coming on and driving off into the sunset on your one wheel (laughs) thank you again for coming on and uh, i apologize for some of the uh, the derails and the tangents we went on oh, but no, I, it was fun i, I thought it was time. important to cover you know because there, there are a decent number of people listening that are just like why would i even use react ever you know what i mean mm. so i thought it was i thought it was worthwhile to kind of cover that angle of it as well but no mm-hmm. it, was, it was fantastic chatting with you and uh I think I, I, I don't, I don't want to say I'm responsible for, for it, but I remember tweeting at you and I said, you would love this one wheel thing. And I sent you a link to it. So I'm just going to assume in my brain, I'm going to assume in my brain that I'm the one that did it and don't ever tell me any different. Okay? You know what? You may have been, I now uh, or, oh, you know, I'll, I'll let you think that. Yeah. Just let me think it. Just let me think it. All right. I'm going to stop. Actually ver- fun, fun, uh, fun story about that really quick yesterday. Well, not a fun story. Um, yesterday. <laughs> My brother, so I got my brother in on uh, the one wheel and he got himself one. And mm-hmm. yesterday he was riding and he separated his shoulder in a <laughs> crash. Uh, so, no. Yeah. yeah I'm, I've got a one wheel, I've got a pint and I've taken a couple of dives on it. Yeah. <laughs> it's not it's, fun. Nope, not fun at all. <laughs>